Hello and welcome to season three, episode nine of Dualist Community. I am you playing the part of Andrew today. And I'm just excited to be a part of Dualistic Unity as a whole. You can call me Ray or don't call me anything at all. It really doesn't matter at this point because we are all involved in a giant ripple and it's actually tangible. You can feel it, you can see it, you can hear that it's happening just from the conversations that are happening on our Discord, on our social media, on Patreon. It's really exciting. I had an opportunity in this last week to talk to four, yeah, it was four of our community members in just one-on-one -on -one conversations. We've never touched base before, but I wanted to reach out and just say, hey. Uh, and of course, two of them were Patreon supporters, so they actually get a free half-hour session every four months as a result of being supporters. And so it was really encouraging to hear how their progress is going and the fact that they're making such progress. And it's funny because almost everybody said, thank you so much for doing the podcast. This has changed my life. And each and every time I would reinforce, it's you doing the work. It's you that's making our podcast useful. And that's what's so inspiring. That's what's so exciting. The fact that there are so many people doing that. We're not doing the work. I really want you, the listener, to understand you are doing all the work. This podcast would just sit in the ether doing nothing if it wasn't for the fact that you're driving that change in your own life. So I'm very excited, whether you call me Ray or not. Do we have listeners? Sometimes sometimes I forget that. Not, not in, uh, in a unappreciative uh, way, I guess, but just that that's always been the point. We were just chatting before the episode started that... The point of this is this conversation that we just have shit to say and we want to say it. It's never necessarily been about anything outside of that. But just to reiterate what you were saying, like as much as we may seem to people on the outside as being, you know, the faces of dualistic unity or whatever, you listening right now are just as much dualistic unity as me or Ray or anyone involved in any of this. If you're in our Discord, in our Patreon, just a listener, just someone who has seen a clip on social media, you are just as much dual security as we are because I am you. You are me. I am everything and everywhere all the time. And dual security is simply an expression of that recognition. And that's all it's ever been and all it will ever be. So it's, it's, been very fun to see things really start to feel like they're picking up the last couple of weeks, but it's also cool because we've been doing this for coming up on a full year now and nothing's ever changed about what we come into each episode, thinking, doing our mentality. We don't really prep today. We both have a couple of things that we've just been thinking about that we wanted to to get in here. Um, and I think you'll really enjoy what we talk about, but it's, it's never been like, oh, we have, you know, these topics and we're going to start with this one and then get into this one and, and all of this structure and, and routine. It's just like most of the episodes we come in and we're like, I wonder what we're going to talk about today. We start talking, I do an intro and then we just keep talking and that's about it. And that's the point of this, of reality, of experience of existence. It just is what it is. You are your point. There is nothing outside that you have to necessarily reach or strive to become because when you see the truth of what, what you are, which is what we talk about all the time, you realize there, there isn't anything more 
you could ever possibly be because you're already it. And so it once you have that in mind, everything becomes what it is for the point of what it is. Everything you experience is for the experience that you're having. And this podcast is simply another embodiment of that recognition. And I'm just happy to be here. So back to your point, no, we don't have any listeners. But on the other hand, whoever's listening to this doesn't have a co-host speaking for this podcast because it's them. It's their, it's their awareness. It's their consciousness. And I have to wonder how much of the wave that we're feeling, how much of the wave that we're embodying, how much of that wave that is being expressed through all of our community members who are all focused on their own journey is a direct reflection to your own intensity, Andrew. How much of that is exactly an expression of how committed you are to your own path, to the energy that you're putting in, the energy that you're expressing, that you're feeling in your life. There is a direct correlation there, I'm sure of it. And that is the reason it's so important to put everything you've got into whatever it is you're doing. I was having this conversation with somebody earlier in the week, and it was largely because of the community topics episode that we did last week, where we were talking about the strategy of asking a person lots of questions. And they were making the point, well, that's a very important thing to do for somebody who's self-absorbed. Teaching them to ask questions is going to make the other person they're talking to feel like they're, they're more important. And my point was, if they're self-absorbed, even if you teach them to strategically ask questions as a social, as a social strategy, they're still not listening to the answers because they're self-absorbed. So now you have a conversation where the other person is being asked questions and not feeling like they're actually being responded to or not feeling like the answers that they're giving are actually being absorbed because the person is, is still self-absorbed. So teaching them a strategy for socialization doesn't change their nature. So the person asked, well, what can we do aside from that? Aside from teaching them things that might lead them to empathy or might lead them to being more receptive in a conversation. And my response was, ask them what they can get out of that conversation. And the person responded, well, isn't that selfish? And I would say, absolutely, it has to be. It has to be selfish to some degree. This is something that we always skip in our developmental process. We look at selfishness as being a bad thing, but it's selfishness taken too far that can be a bad thing. Selfishness itself is necessary. You are the only person that's living your life. It's on you. At the end of the day, it all comes back down to you. And if you don't treat your life that way, you're not going to get much out of it. You're going to feel resentful. You're going to feel like a victim. You're going to feel disempowered. So it has to be about you. And from that, from those genuine decisions and that priority, you actually start to grow. You actually start to do things that are meaningful for you. And that allows you to empathize with other people because you're able to see them through the lens of your own experience. But it has to start with selfishness. It has to start with you. And so the person who's listening to this episode right now is doing so for their own reasons in the same way that we are doing this episode for our own reasons. And that's what makes it so powerful. That is what's making this change happen. That it's genuinely for our own reasons and we are the universe. Amen. And it's interesting to think, say for example, you know, the example you just gave of someone listening to this podcast and it has to be for them. And I thought of a hypothetical situation in which someone starts listening to this in order to then go on and teach someone about it. And it's like, if you're doing so, if you're listening to this for that end 
goal or, or purpose in mind, you will never 100% be listening to this because there is an end goal in mind. And that's kind of the point of everything I was saying before was it has to be for the thing. And as long as it is for the thing, you'll be there for it. You will, you will get so much more out of the experience that you're having if you're doing it for the experience, but it's actually so rare for people to do, especially in our society. It's always for the thing. Take something like meditation, for example. That was something that Alan Watts, he would always say like, you know, meditation shouldn't be to improve yourself. Meditation is a thing for itself in and of itself, doing it for itself or, you know, whatever he said, exactly much more eloquently than that. But, um, I never really understood it because I was always in the way. My idea of myself was always in the way. It's like, well, what the fuck is the point of meditating? If it's not going to improve myself, it's like, I'm improving the thing that's reinforcing my suffering. I'm improving the thing that creates all this suffering for myself in my life. So whether it's meditation or anything in life. And once you let go of the practice of meditation, everything can be a sort of meditation. And the only, you know, thing you ever have to do or, or should do is do the thing for the thing. That's all it ever is. That's all this experience is, is doing the thing that you're doing for the sake of doing the thing that you're doing and, and letting go of the desire for it to turn into something. So for meditation, it's become such a fad because everyone's like, oh, it's going to improve, you know, your, your brain capacity and decrease this part of your brain that causes stress and, and increase the happiness part or, you know, whatever I'm kind of making stuff up right now. But we talked about this, I think in season one, how everyone's gotten so hung up on, on doing it to improve themselves. And all you're doing is building up the idea of yourself. That's the root of your suffering. So it always has to be for the thing. And if you're listening to this podcast, it's reinforcing, I guess, to yourself to, to a degree, all the things that you sort of already know deep down. And, and all we're talking about is what's left when you let go of all the, the things that you think you are and, and believe to be the truth, because what you think is the truth is never going to be the truth. The truth is what's left when you let go of everything you believe to be the truth. So it's a lot of went all over the place there, but uh, yeah, do the thing for the thing. <laughs> it's funny because you say, you said we're going all over the place there. And I think that is the point of this conversation. I think that's what makes it so powerful and so applicable is the fact that it really is in regards to everything that we do in life. We always tend to get carried away. We always end up sh shooting for the future. We always end up in this illusion of duality. And when we get caught up in it, everything kind of runs amok, but relationships are exactly the same as meditation in that way. A lot of people get into a relationship for the point of being happy, for the point of being loved. And then while they're in the relationship, they sabotage it by not being in the relationship, by always striving for that next thing that proves how happy they are, that validates them against everybody else and what they're doing and what society expects, whether it's moving in together, getting married, having a baby, buying a house. These are all things that people end up shooting for almost subconsciously because that's what you do. That's how you become happy and, and at peace and retire with your, your grandchildren and all that. But what happens is that throughout that entire path, you're so busy striving to get to a place that you're already in. You're in the relationship. You already have that person. And that relationship is only going to deepen through you being in it fully. 
in each and every moment, listening to them, participating in the conversation, exploring your own vulnerability. All of these things are important, but if you're always shooting for that image, for that picture of a happy family or a happy relationship, you're never in the state of mind to actually create it. So it's, it's a universal lesson. We learn it all the time. It's just a matter of taking it in and swallowing down the fact that what we want isn't necessarily what's best for us. It's a hard lesson. It really is. It's funny. It seems so very direct. My, my daughter the other day was saying, oh, it seems like common sense. And I, I reminded her that my grandfather once said, common sense is not common. And it's not. It's not something we often use. It's because we're so wrapped up in thinking about our satisfactions and our needs and our perceived lack. Actually, it's funny. There was a, a social experiment that was done recently by Payless Shoes. Um, they opened a fake uh, high-end shoe boutique and they called it something else. And they took normal Payless shoes that would sell for like 30 to 35 bucks and they put them in this boutique. And people went in and paid like five, $600 for a pair of shoes that would cost like 35 bucks. And I thought that was really funny because it's quite obvious that they're buying those products because it validates their self-image. And if it wasn't coming from that perceived lack, they would probably ask more questions and not just believe this is a high quality shoe without actually checking. Because that's what we do when we are actually being skeptical and we're using our awareness about any decision, we look. But if we need, then we just make the decision on our emotions. This is exactly what's going to solve my problem for me. And so I thought the video was really funny. It was an interesting experiment. And I shared it on TikTok. I reposted it with the comment, beware your perceived lack. And because my username on TikTok is you, it looked like you reposted beware your perceived lack. And so one of my followers took it like I was talking to her personally and went off about how you don't know me you're assuming i have perceived lack and it was it was completely a defense mechanism and so i, I commented like okay well perceived lack if anybody is buying if anybody is making a decision without looking into that decision more closely it's generally from a perceived lack which always comes back to identity and it took her about five or six comments to realize i wasn't talking about her personally i was just talking about the lesson that we overcommit to things when we perceive a lack. And that always comes from our self-image. And then she, she's like, oh, I'm sorry. I thought it was directed at me and so on and so forth. But that's the reason we have such a problem with this. We're so committed to what we want. We're so committed to what we're familiar with. We're so committed to the journey that we've envisioned for however long. That when somebody comes over and says, maybe that's not the best thing for you. Our immediate reaction because of that commitment is to lash out. It's to try and make them seem like they're tearing us down. So that way we can continue on. And if we can watch for that mechanism, if we can ask ourselves, am I getting carried away? Am I pursuing something that might be destructive? And just ask the question with honesty and a willingness to look at it. Changes everything. Yeah, that is, that is fascinating. And it's always interesting to see that in action. And it's so, I, I find that it's so difficult for us because in doing so and taking the time to question and wonder if, oh, and what I doing out of a perceived state of lack, we have to look within ourselves and question where we're coming from and sort of let down our guard and let down all of our defense mechanisms. And because we're so afraid of how we'll be perceived and, oh, if I let my guard down, like, am I going to be looked at in this way or this way or this way or this way? And it's like, 
that's like the the way you would be perceived by letting your guard down is going to be by people who equally need that sense of validation and and external gratification. So does it really matter at the end of the day if if you let your guard down and someone says something or or thinks something because all I see when someone does that is that they're telling me I rely on that for a sense of validation. I need that for myself. And therefore, when I see it in you or, or someone else, I need to say something because I can't handle it on my own if it were to happen to me. Like that's all I see when when people say those things. But with the uh looking into things in that pay less experiment, it's very interesting because it's so often that we rely on the external, on the validation of other people, on the thinking like, oh, well, you know, is is this going to be what everyone else is is doing? How am I going to per- be perceived based on this? And it's so freeing when you let go of that and recognize that it isn't a necessary part of your life. And there's so many net positives and benefits to letting go of that need for a sense of validation, because all of a sudden, everything you're doing is for yourself because you want to do it. And this, I think, kind of ties into what you're talking about with selfishness before, because so many people, even if they don't necessarily have a lot of money, because they derive their sense of of value from external validation, from validation from peers and friends and family, they're not doing it for themselves. They're doing it for everyone else. And it's sort of a manipulative form of selflessness, almost. It's like a different type of selflessness where you're just not doing anything for you because you feel like you need all of their validation. So, you know, you're not buying the clothes that you actually like. You're buying the clothes that you think are going to get them to like you. You're not buying the car that you actually like or, or care about. You're buying the car that you think is going to make you look the best for everyone else. You're not buying the house that you actually want to buy because that's what you like and that's all you think you need. Maybe you don't really feel like you need a big house, but because you rely on everyone else's validation for your sense of worth, all of a sudden you do kind of need a big house because that's how you think your value is derived. But as you let go of that need, as you let go of those external validating factors, all of a sudden you're able to do things for you in almost that selfish way Ray was talking about before, because it's for you. And all of a sudden you don't have to, you know, pay a couple million for a house. You can get one that you actually like way fucking more and it's a lot cheaper. And then you can also do other things you want to do with your life and beyond even just the the fiscal aspect of it, the monetary aspect of it. There's so much less stress and and worry and basically everything about your life gets a lot better when you let go of that need for the external validation. Yeah, absolutely because you can never get it. That's the problem, right? Is that as soon as you're playing that game, you are manipulative and you're being manipulated, right? Anybody who thinks that their opinion of you is indicative of your value is also playing that comparison game. And so you're immediately in in a game where their perception of you, which is so important, is being influenced by their own perceived lack and need. So you can't possibly live up to what they might require of you because it's always changing and you can't see it. But if you don't recognize that, you spend your entire life running 
either ahead of the crowd trying to, to beat them or behind the, the crowd trying to catch up. You're never happy. You never have a moment's peace because it's always about how you live relative to how everybody else might see you or how everybody else might think of you or, or judge you. And eventually you have to come to terms with the fact that regardless of what they see, that's not you. Regardless of how they perceive you, that's not the, the truth. And that's true for ourselves. How, however we perceive ourselves is not the truth either. There is no other option but to live for yourself at that point. And sure, it starts off selfishly. We actually mentioned this in, in an old episode that we did where we get to this point where it's like, well, I don't give a fuck. I'm going to live for me. But you're still trying to tell that to other people. There's almost like you're still trying to prove it to them that you don't give a fuck. And, and so that's an important step along the way until you start realizing you're hurting people's feelings because they do want you to care. They care about you sometimes. And so you're like, okay, maybe I do give a fuck a little bit for my reasons. And you start to, to explore that gray area. But it's important to do that. It's important to go through the stages of that. But selfishness is the beginning. It's your journey. Doesn't matter what anybody else thinks of it. And, and I, I mean this in terms of your friends, your family, anyone. If they have a narrative of you and they're not willing to let it go. Nothing says you have to convince them of anything. Nothing says you have to give a shit what they think of you or what you're going to do in your life. You can just carry on. You don't have to care. And eventually they're either going to go, well, why aren't you listening to what I'm saying anymore? And you can tell them because you don't know. Or you can just put some distance or they'll put distance for you. One way or another, it ends up working out, but it has to be for you. The priority has to be for you. And, and I mean that because you are the universe. You're the center of your entire existence. If it's not about you, who is it about? Yeah, that that additional part I was going to say, of course, is pretty much exactly what, what you said right there was that uh, you don't even know what people think or think is best for them. You know, like we're trying to like get the big house, get the, get the nice car. You don't even know what is going to derive that sense of validation from other people. And yet we're like throwing shots in the dark trying to do so. But anyway, the last point about the universe and being the universe and being the center of the universe. I've, I've been thinking about that the last couple of weeks, like, hmm, where is the center of the universe? It's something that people have, you know, been pondering forever. It's like, what do you mean? It's, it's you. You are. Where else could it possibly be? You can't escape your perspective. And it's kind of fascinating. And, and it goes along the lines of, of, how selfishness and, and, uh, kind of this, this idea of, of, you know, people will say you're not the center of the universe. And it's like, well, you kind of are at the same time, not, not in, in the way of the way everyone thinks of it. Like, oh, you only care about yourself. Like no one else matters, blah, 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 blah. But it's like, that's the reality. Like, that's just the fact of the matter is that you are the center of your universe. And we all have different perspectives, but when you recognize that the universe is, is infinite and space is infinite, there are no bounds to what it is. Like where else would the center be when you recognize infinity and eternity and you're the center of the universe. And this moment right now is as much the beginning as it is the end. It's not, we haven't been around for trillions of years. We've always been around. And the, you know, existence isn't going to end in another trillion years. It's always going to be. 
So this moment right now that you're listening to my voice is as much the beginning as it is the end. And where you're listening to this, wherever it is, is the center of the universe. Like there's a lot of weight to that in the sense that it kind of cuts out everything you think is so important outside of your experience in the moment. When you see the real gravity of the moment of your experience here and now, it's like there isn't as much external that even matters so much anymore. Like we were saying earlier, it has to be for the experience. Like the experience is for the thing. Meditation is for the act of meditating because right now is the beginning and the end. And, and this place that you're in is the center of the universe. So, you know, there's nowhere to go that isn't here now always. Yeah. You are the center and everything to the edges, which don't exist because of course there's no time and space. So you can't have a center. It's just you being everything forever and forever is always now. So it's kind of a fun thing, but we miss all of that. And because of that, we actually squander a good portion of our potential in terms of our time and, and the things that we can explore. We spend so much time catering to our perceived fears that we never explore certain avenues and certain interests that might have changed our lives, might have changed everything we experienced. And if there's anything that, that we can look at in terms of uh, unlocking our potential, it's that. It's the fact that we don't see ourselves as fundamental to existence, as Alan Watts said, and I, I really enjoyed that exact wording. We are fundamental to existence. And in that awareness is potential. In that awareness is joy and enthusiasm and empathy, because it's all you. There is an absolute priority. There is an absolute meaning to everything in that there is a meaning to nothing, because it's all you. So given that, I find it really interesting. And I know you wanted to talk about this today, because the perspective there is that one person can change the universe because they are the universe. One person has unlimited potential, can change the entire path of everything on this planet or wherever they might be. On the flip side of that, you have the egotistical mentality, the controlling mentality that sees everybody as puppets made of meat with a limited amount of potential, limited amount of intelligence, a limited amount of avenues that they can explore in their lives. And that their only purpose is to ultimately work for something larger in terms of it being a corporation or a government or something like that. And so that's why you have Elon Musk saying something like there's a collapse coming because we don't have enough workers. And I find that statement to be funny because it can only come from somebody who is benefiting from cheap labor. It's the only time you would want more workers when you already have an overpopulation problem. The problem isn't that we need more workers, it's that we need less demand. The problem is that we're, we're producing shit we don't need. We are working too much for reasons that don't make sense. And it's because we don't see the priority in ourselves. We don't see how fundamental we are to the universe. If we did, our lives would mean a lot more than whatever we're being paid for 40 hours of our life every week. We would be a lot more hesitant to give that up if we recognized how fundamental we are to all of this. And that's what the system runs on. The system runs on us not seeing that. It runs on us reducing our existence to a tiny little peon in the machine that's not aware it's there. And it really just comes back down to, do you recognize your value? 
Do you? Do you recognize that it's immeasurable? Do you recognize that all you're doing is finding new ways to, uh, to embody it and express it? Because if you do, then your entire life is a blank canvas for you to do that. But if you don't, if you don't see that it's on you, you're just going to sell your life for an hourly wage for the sake of fitting into a system that just wants you to continue working for no reason other than to keep that system going. Yeah. Yeah. What's the, uh, the tool song go? Do you fucking know what you are? Love that line. But, uh, yeah. So for some background on what, uh, Ray was bringing up with Elon, I sent him a tweet earlier this week and said, I wanted to talk about this on the episode. And, and Elon's tweet was, Population collapse due to low birth rates is a much bigger risk to civilization than global warming. Mark these words, and I do think global warming is a major risk. So Elon has this whole shtick that we need, like population is decreasing, people aren't having enough kids, we need more people. And as as Ray said, the only reason you would you would think that is because you need cheap labor, is because you don't see the inherent value in each and every person. And they're more of a number of a cog in the wheel of a means to an end of, you know, progress. And I think we talked about this recently and, and Ray mentioned there is no end to progress. Where does, where does progress end or what is it? Progress is being fully armed on enemy lines. Yeah. It's like that. And that is Elon's mentality. And as many things as he does in terms of innovation and, and all of those things, it's like, to what end do we go? There is no end. And it's sort of like the embodiment of the ego is that mentality of there is no end. There is no, even for something, a, uh, what's the word? Uh, metaphor, I guess. I don't know. I don't. I don't always get those words correct with uh, metaphors, and sim symbolism, and and all of those things. But that uh, you know, when you start overthinking or worrying, it's it's an infinite track. You can start worrying, and you get worried about being worried, and then you get worried about being worried about being worried, and you can go on with that forever until you recognize that there's nothing wrong with being worried. It's the same for any sort of emotion. You get afraid of being scared. And you get afraid of being afraid of being scared. And it's like, or you can just realize, oh, it's okay to be scared and I'll be all right. I can accept that when it arises. And that, that sort of cuts it off. And it's the same with progress. You know, it, it's sort of the ego embodied in trying to pursue progress to, to what end there, there is no end. There is no end to that progress. And so as someone like Elon will see population numbers dwindling, whatever. He gets worried by that because he relies on more numbers to continue progressing. And I don't necessarily know if he fully recognizes what he's saying, quite frankly, but I think people also get hung up on the way that the United States is run, for example, with capitalism being, you know, the greatest thing ever. And it's like the only way there's been no other way that's been proven. It's the only way that's ever, ever worked. And it's such a limited idea of, of our potential. And it's kind of frustrating 
to hear people talk about that, just like, oh, that's the end of it. It's like, well, have you ever wondered if maybe it isn't? Maybe there's a better thing we can come to. But because we've gotten so caught up on that, we see something that threatens that system that we rely on for this false sense of certainty, for, for being able to be comfortable with the idea that that is the best thing that could ever be. We see something like population dropping or whatever, or not growing as quickly as this horrendous thing that, that needs to be switched. And they're like, well, you know, what's the alternative? What if, what if it leads to destruction and annihilation and apocalyptic times? And it's like, yeah, what if maybe we could use a little bit of a reset. And the other aspect of that is that they see humans as something entirely separate from everything else. They see anything that threatens humanity is objectively a quote unquote bad thing and should be avoided at all costs because they don't see that we are nature. They don't see that if all of humanity died, everything would be overgrown in, what is it? Five, 10, 15 years. Like nature would take over very quick. We talked about that at some point in season one too. And, and um, so it, it's interesting when you see people getting so caught up and just being very close-minded about these situations. It's like maybe a little bit of a reset could derive some benefit for reality, for existence, for earth. You know, it's not like humans have necessarily been, been improving the situation a whole lot recently, but it's just interesting to see someone like that coming out and just being so matter of fact, and like, this is bad. We need to change it. People need to start having more babies. And it's like, all right, listen to yourself, dude. But yeah, so I just wanted to chat about that a little bit, but it's, it's interesting to say the least. And it makes sense considering his trajectory. Um, if you think about it, because we're talking about the consequence of continuing to expand the population, whereas Elon has already got himself a way out of that, which is to travel to Mars. He has lots of money. He's got a plan. He's got control. Don't worry. We're just going to go to another planet. And then what? Take over that one, cover it with people, drain all the resources, then look for another planet. Like if you play this out long enough, you end up coming back to the same problems. And that is the point. But to somebody who has the illusion of control, somebody who has you know, more money than anybody else in the world, Oh, well, don't worry. We'll just go somewhere else. Oh, don't worry. I'll just, you know, build a bunker on the moon or don't worry. We'll just, you know, build a giant gerbil, you know, cage in space and we'll all live in there or something. I have money. We're all good. Um, whereas the rest of us who aren't necessarily under the illusion that we have control and everything is under control all the time and nothing could possibly fall outside of our, our clutches. Um, we have to realize that there are consequences to things all the time. There are all kinds of consequences to things. I mean, the fact that our population is so high right now is a result of our lack of awareness, because if we had awareness, we would actually consider, okay, so how much food can our area provide? And let's try and ballpark our population around that if we can, but we don't have that clarity because then immediately, oh, you're telling me how many children I can have. And it's like, nobody's telling you how much you, why aren't you asking why you want so many children. Like there's a lot of questions you could be asking other than focusing on the fact that somebody's telling you something you can't, that, that you should consider that you wanted to do that maybe is not best for you and everybody else. 
So it really comes down to awareness, which is not something that we want to encourage in society because they're not going to become productive workers, which is why we have quiet quitting, which is why we have this wave of people committing suicide. Like in China, there are, are factories where they have netting outside the building so people can't jump to their deaths. That is in, that's indicative of a problem. When people are coming out like uh, Mr. Wonderful off the lion's den, or, or Dragon's Den, Mr. Wonderful off the Dragon's Den, rich guy, and he comes out and he's like, if you're a quiet quitter, you're a loser. It's like, thank you for the perfect example of why people are quiet quitting, because people like you make it impossible to actually communicate like a human being, because you're still judging me for not living up to your expectations, which are entirely driven by your own wants and needs. So that's the problem. So we're going to continue to walk away. We're going to continue to make this population problem a diff more difficult for the system because there's no meaning in it for us. And they're going to try and fear us into going back to work. They're going to try and pressure us into doing what we're told. It's going to be, it's going to be an interesting ride. Absolutely. Yeah, it will be interesting to say the least. But yeah, it's, it's funny with the whole quiet quitting mindset and how how much self-policing there can be and how we've just gotten so used to things being the way they are and we don't really think like oh so i have you know these clients and they want to do this and i have this work it's like what if we all cumulatively agreed just like have some stuff like set some stuff up in advance and then like, you know, only work Monday through Wednesday or Thursday. Like there's nothing saying that all of the things the way they are, are how they have to be. There's nothing baked into the fabric of reality that says that you work Monday through Friday and you have Saturday and Sunday off. And as we get, it's, it's interesting too, because we're starting to see some shifts and things, albeit they're very slow, but with all of the automation that we have now too, like who's to say that we have to work so much and for so long, but there's another sense or another aspect of it that people sort of derive their value from being a very hard worker, from being someone who works long days and it's funny like with with my friends a lot of them went into banking and consulting and there's been a shift away from this now that we're uh what are we a little over four years after uh graduation but early on it was like a badge of honor to uh to work really shitty hours and they were like oh you work you know you work 70 hours i work 90 hours and it's like dude your hourly wage fucking sucks, bro. Like I, you know, maybe your salary is twice as much as mine, but you know, I'm working 40 hours, you're working 80 and I have other things I can do. Our hourly wage is exactly the same, but it's funny how intertwined all of those things are and how we get our sense of value from so many different weird fucking places. Even, even like working long hours is a place that people derive value from. It's like, where did that come from? How fucking conditioned have we become to think that we actually have more value 
because we sacrifice more of our life because we give away more of our life being the hours that we have in a day to the system, to the man for the sake of progress, for the sake of just having more shit, because that's also how we derive our sense of value. So above all these things, as you let go of deriving your sense of value from anything outside of yourself, all of a sudden things get a lot clearer and you don't need all of these things and, and weird shit to get value from like working long hours. Like, ah, I can't get over that. But so it's, it, life gets a lot easier, more fun. You, you all of a sudden have a little bit more money because you're not spending it to, to get value or, or derive validation from other people. And yeah, so there's just a lot of benefits to recognizing those things and, and a lot more clarity that comes with it. And it's such an indication of exactly how badly off we are, because once upon a time, if you had your own chunk of land, you were growing your own food, you had some animals, stuff like that, you would work long hours some days, but it was for you. It was for something that meant something to your life, as we were discussing earlier in this episode. Now, it's like they used competition and lack as a way of training us to volunteer more hours out of fear that somebody else might beat us to that job or somebody else might get the position instead of us. And I know, I remember uh, one job that I walked away from, their point was very much, well, we can find somebody else to replace you quite easily. And that's how they were trying to get me to stay, to which case I'm like, do that. And I left, right? But it's because there's that fear like, oh, what if I can't find a job? Oh, what if I don't fit in? What if I don't get all the things that society wants me to get or says I should get that's going to make me valuable? What if I can't live up to this expectation that was drilled into me by a system that just wants me to work hard for the rest of my life? And so it's all that pressure. No wonder we're all messed up. No wonder we're all anxious. No wonder we have no sense of, of connection to the universe. Like we're so busy. They, they did a study back in the 30s uh, to see how many things a human brain can juggle at one time. And I think it was in the thirties or something like that. And then after that, you actually start to lose track of things. How many things are we juggling all the time? How many things are we trying to fit into? How many things are we, are we shooting for in the future just for the sake of, of fitting in with everybody else? No wonder we have no clarity. No wonder we're constantly confused. No wonder we're always chasing the carrot or running from the stick because that's what drives the system. But as we change that, as you said, as we start to see our lives being more important, as we start to see our moments being more important, instead of getting a job that pays us more, we're finding ways to cut down our expenses. Instead of giving up more of our hours, we are finding ways to cut costs or we're finding ways to make money in different ways that allow us to also express ourselves and feel more fulfilled rather than just punching a time clock, working for a project that you don't give a shit about at the end of the day, because that is very much the problem, is that we have lost track of the mentality that is productive, that's truly productive, wherein everybody in the group works together, communicates clearly, everybody has the same ambition in terms of why they're on the project. This is something Krishnamurti was always saying, is that people are actually rarely working together, period, because they're all doing it for their own egotistical needs. They could all be working on the same project, but for completely different reasons. How well do you think that project's going to turn out? So when you look at our society, that's very much the project. And it's all just kind of a conglomeration of all of our egotistical needs and our confusion and our drive for some mysterious future. There's no meaning or purpose to it. We don't see that this is our planet, that this is us. This is us. This is, we're going to get 
what we sow. That's the point. And if we understood that, well, then we would start to take our moments a little bit more seriously. We would be more hesitant to give them up to people who are just trying to profit off our back in order to do something that's ultimately not benefiting anyone. And that's often the case, but this is the change in that priority. It's happening right now. We see it all the time. I mean, even just this podcast alone, just going to take a moment to celebrate something here quickly. We are currently in the top 5% of podcasts in the world based on our listeners, based on the community that's growing. Why do you think that is? We don't advertise. We don't put any money into marketing or anything like that. If anything, we take the money that we've gotten from our patrons, who are awesome, by the way, um, and we take it and we put it towards spreading the message, sending out ripples, making a change. Why do you think that is? Other than the fact that it resonates with people who have been experiencing their own personal hell for years as a result of being in a system that's telling them all kinds of things that don't make sense and don't feel right. And all of a sudden, all we're doing is saying, yeah, there's a reason it doesn't feel right. Yeah, this is about you. Yeah, there is something you can do. And it's all on you. You don't need anything from us. I think that's all we need is just to recognize it really is just about you. Yeah, I think it can be helpful as much as it is for us each as individuals and let go of of the need for the external validation, there is an aspect where we've been so fucked up by the system that being able to see other people who are also like, what the fuck's going on? There's gotta be something going on here that's like half-ass backwards and I can't be the only crazy one. Being able to see other people and talk to other people about that, not that it's from a sense of, of self validation. Like I need someone else to like understand this, but communication is, is one of the, the cores of humanity. And so I think that's one of my favorite things about dualistic unity is that we just are talking about this stuff every week, talk about it in our groups on Patreon. We talk it, talk about it in our server on discord, talking about it on our live streams, talking about it on the podcast, obviously. And I think it's something that the world sort of needs at this point, not dualistic unity, but just the conversation being had, just the ability to talk to other people who are seeing and recognizing the same sorts of things. It's like, oh, I'm not what I think I am. Oh, I can let go of all these things I've been suffering through. Oh, I don't have to keep holding on to that. Oh, there is some fucked up shit going on. I thought I was the only one who who was seeing that. And I, I wasn't really sure because I keep getting gaslit by the people at the top telling me that, oh no, you're just being lazy and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, no, there is shit going on and there's reasons for it. And that's all we talk about is, is the core of those reasons, why they're happening and why we suffer. And once you're able to see that more clearly, it doesn't necessarily change everything overnight, but being able to see it is the first step, being able to recognize that there's a problem with the system, being able to recognize that there's a problem with the way we view ourselves relative to reality. There's a problem with the way we see other people relative to reality. There's a problem with the way we see reality itself and think that we're something fucking separate from it. <laughs> like 
just being able to see that and recognize it and hear people talk about it and actually be able to have reasonable points as to why it's the case and, and being able to explain it logically. Like that's always been something that I've kind of gravitated towards is, is things that logically make sense, just make sense. Like they, they resonate even more. So as soon as I start to understand something and it's like, well, that, you know, that logically makes sense. Like, no, you're not what you think you are, you know, where, where are you? You nowhere now here. <laughs> uh, one of my favorite sort of little, little comparison things, but yeah. And we're just caught up in illusions, caught up in beliefs that fictions are the truth or, or in the, in the hope that fictions are the truth. And the beautiful thing is that you don't have to keep holding on to those. There is, there is another step you can take beyond all of those beliefs that you never really believed, but you just hoped were true because they made you feel a little bit better within all this shit storm that we're going through. But you don't have to cling to that either. You don't have to cling to anything. Just be here now. You're always enough, no matter what you think you are, no matter what you think is wrong with you. You're always good right now. Absolutely. It's funny, you know, over the last half of my life, I've often wondered because the trajectory I was on was downward. It wasn't going anywhere good. I was pretty certain I'd be dead by 25 and 20 years, 20 plus years later, you know, I find myself here and I've often wondered why the hell did I wake up? What happened that, that just happened to be the perfect combination of things to just wake up. And it kind of goes back to what you were saying about dualistic unity. You and I have nothing to do with this. If anything, you and I were inspired by whatever it is we were going through in our life. And that is what everything else is happening. Like the earth is our collective mindset and that collective is experiencing a sickness. And so as a result of that sickness, there are parts of it that are developing antibodies. And that's what these conversations are. They're just gathering of, of a way to fight off that sickness because it's necessary. And so I was inspired to wake up. You were inspired to wake up. Everybody who's listening to this was inspired to wake up and we're all coming together. Why are we coming together? To continue to expand the conversation or to expand that, that system that's fighting off that sickness because we're a part of it. But it's still totally self-driven because we are the whole thing as well. I was talking to somebody this week and they were expressing that when you realize you're everything, you can feel a little bad that you can't save the world overnight. And it's important to recognize the part of you that wants to save the world is the part of you that's everyone. It's not just on you, the character. So you're already doing it, but it's huge. It's like a giant rolling over. It takes a while, but once it's rolling, you, do, you notice it, right? And that's very much what's happening is that this sleeping giant is starting to roll and we're all a part of that but it's important that each of us roll for ourselves and that's what's going to make it happen. It's just so interesting that we're a part of a change that's happening as much as we are part of the reason it's happening. It is also the reason that we're happening because it's both and neither all the time. Yeah. Very, very fun paradox there, <laughs> both and neither like with everything, but yeah, this, the sleeping giant analogy. I like that one. Cause the other thing to recognize is once the giant, sort of gets to the top or gets on its side, it, it just falls. It just falls. 
And I think that's important to recognize as much as it can feel very heavy, especially early on when you're, you know, the starting of, of the movement is, is the heaviest part. And then as you get further, it's like, you literally get lighter because of the way gravity and, and a body works and all that stuff. Like that's, that's how it goes. And all you got to do is, is get it halfway and there's, there is a tipping point, but yeah, like, like with everything, it's, it comes back to you and your mentality. And as you get caught up in being frustrated and suffering because it isn't happening quick enough and wishing that it was happening quicker, you're just adding all of that suffering to reality because you're reality. So it's so important to keep in mind that as much as you are a part of, of it, you are it. And as Ray just said, you are it happening. And all you ever have to do is shift, is, is see it, is, is move towards the truth of what you are and let go of everything you think you are. And people are asking all the time, like, how do you let go of what you think you are? You question it. You recognize that it's never the truth. You recognize that what you think you are is never, ever, 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 ever going to be the truth of what you actually are. And that's it. And then just keep questioning it because there's always assumptions coming up about what we can do, what we can't do, what we're good at, what we're bad at, what we like, what we dislike, what our opinions are of these things. As we like, as you question all of them and become okay with not knowing what those are, recognize that uncertainty is reality. Reality is, is uncertainty and uncertainty is freedom. Certainty is a fucking prison. And so as you let go of all of those needs, for a sense of certainty and realize that if, if life was certain fucking suck, it'd be terrible. It wouldn't be worth going on. Like you would, if you knew what was happening next, there would be no point in sticking around to see what happens because you already knew. And then it's already the past. And then it's just like, it's impossible for that to play out in any way. Like it doesn't actually, couldn't actually be possible for that to work out. So as you let go, as you question, as you recognize that you are never what you think you are and just maintain, stick to that process, the world will change much quicker than you'll ever realize. Absolutely. And it's important to recognize that you're always going to, at some point, look back at what you've done previously and go, Ooh, I could have done that differently. It's always going to happen because you're always gaining more clarity as you go from moment to moment to moment. So speak, do your best and, and watch your intention. That's really the most important thing, but speak. You don't have to be perfect. You're making ripples regardless. As I said once before, you know, all the levels of heaven have different types of angels. You don't have to be all of them and you don't have to be perfect. You are exactly what you need to be for whoever runs across you. And I want to bring this around to another subject that Andrew brought up and wanted to discuss today. Andrew Tate, because this is a perfect example of somebody who's been out and about being very vocal, um, getting some attention, and as a result, got too much attention to the point where the system lashed out and smacked him a little bit and said, you know, no, we don't want any more from you. And on the one hand, I, I just want to say, I'm not for censorship in any way whatsoever. On the other hand, I will say that in the system that we live in right now, you can't avoid censorship on a privately owned platform. It's up to them. It's their platform. And I do support that as well. So there's always the creation of new platforms. There's always the possibility of you making your own platform. There's always a way. But I don't think that we should censor people simply because of what they're saying. I, I think that we should allow them to have a dialogue. I think that it's important that we 
possibly discuss how to have that dialogue so that way all sides are being considered so that way not it's just not one person screaming over somebody else which is something that often happens with Andrew Tate in his in his conversations and it's because he says things in a way that sound very confident but are ultimately coming from insecurity in a lot of ways and because of that he identifies as a male because of that he identifies as a rich person and somebody who's very smart and he'll tell you all about himself he's very much like trump that way and so it sounds very very confident but it's destructive in that it's not confidence it's the absolute opposite to confidence and it's trying to get other people who are insecure to latch on to the same identity to latch on to that same strategy now i don't think we should censor him for that but I think it's important that we have a discussion about that. And that's not something that's happening in our society for the same reasons that we've been talking about. We can't stand to have someone disagree with us. We can't stand to have a belligerent asshole in the room that we have to deal with. We got to shut them out. But it's empathy and awareness and courage and presence that allows us to make that conversation with that belligerent asshole into something that turns into growth for both people. It's just something we have to do, right? And so. All that in mind, even if you are Andrew Tate and you're out there and you're pissing people off, do that. I mean, that, that's fine. You might be causing some destruction, but there's other people out there that are going to have an, or that are going to have an impact that may balance that destruction out or turn the things that you're sharing into better insights down the road. The point is, is that you're participating. It's also important that we participate in response. We can't just shut the door on these people. If we have a problem with them, we should open a dialogue. Amen. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. And yeah, I'm with you. Um, with the censorship, it's like, it doesn't actually solve anything. It's like with everything the system does, it's just a band-aid. It's like a sinking ship that keeps getting holes in it. They just keep trying to patch up the holes. And they're like, Oh no, it's fine. It's like, why don't we, why don't we face it and, and look at it and, and have some people, you know, invite them on for some debates and some people who are, you know, well versed in the opposite of what he talks about, like have them on chat with him about it. Join hop on dualist community. We'd love to talk to you about all the things that you cling to for this false sense of, of confidence, of, of security, of feeling like you have, all of the the best things that every man should always have. And it's like, why do you feel like you need those things though? Because you lack faith, because you lack faith in yourself. It's so fascinating how often we look at people in society who have the money and all the, the cars and the fame and all of those things. And you don't realize they need those things because without those things, they wouldn't see themselves in a positive light. They need those things for their sense of, of validation because they lack faith in themselves. It's not that they have so much faith in themselves that they are able to get all these things. It's like they need those because they lack the faith to stand on their own. That's why they need all the money and the validation and you know his fucking Hustlers University for all of these other guys to give him a sense of validation that he what he's doing is the right thing to do because, oh, look at all these people in my hustlers university that you're teaching to fucking just split up your videos and, and repost them in this circular sort of way of, of promoting this 
mentality of, you know, not going to say bad mentality, but certainly destructive mentality. So with that, and with all that being said, I, I absolutely don't agree. I mean, I think Andrew Tate is, could be maybe one of the furthest mentalities from what we talk about on here, similar to Donald Trump, but at the same time, it's where empathy comes in and being able to see the path that people like that take to the situation that they're in, being able to see, you know, I don't know what Andrew Tate's childhood was like. I can imagine it was kind of fucked up. Probably people like that don't just become how they are from going through a, from going through not a lot of suffering. And so I think I, I would like to learn more about his childhood just to have a sense of, of what it's like so I can see how on point I am with this point. But typically people like that, they they don't see the value within themselves from a young age. And so they look for all of the external things, all of the external factors, all of the external validation to derive their sense of value. And so when you start to see things in that way, it's not so much like this guy's horrible, like toxic, 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 like cancel, cancel, cancel all this stuff. It's like, let's look at it. Let's, let's have a conversation. Let's, let's see where he's coming from. Let's communicate. And, and that's really what it always comes down to is being able to communicate with people. And if you don't agree with them, talk to them about it. You can't just go around canceling people left and right. It's like, we can have conversations with them. And, but as long as you cut them off, as long as you cancel them, there isn't as much potential for change. And that's the unfortunate part about this, I think, is that all of a sudden now he's just, he and all of his like, you know, groupies or whatever you want to call them, see themselves pitted against all of these other people. And it's like, all of a sudden they're, they're just enemies as opposed to having some semblance of empathy towards each other and, and being able to see even the tiniest little connection, even just as, you know, whatever we are, reality, existence, experiencing itself, seeing something in there, some little blip of, of connection. And that will allow for a slight shift in perspective on both sides, being able to see where they come from. And maybe someone like Andrew Tate through conversations, through open dialogue, shifts a little bit and starts to see things a little bit differently, lets down his guard a little bit that he, that he clings to for this false sense of certainty, for the sense of validation that he clearly doesn't see in himself. Yeah, that'd be a fun conversation to have him on for sure. Because I, I have often said that it's rare that we get so lost, we can't turn around. It's not that it doesn't happen, but it does happen over years and years and years and years. And he's not really that old of a person. So there, there is a good chance that he might find an insight if he's open to it. But the problem is, is that sometimes it's not even overt suffering that we grow up. It's conditioning, you know, the, the expression that the sins of the father pass to the son or the sins of the parent pass to the child, right? So if your parent grows up defining themselves as a man, defining themselves by how tough they are, defining themselves by, you know, how they act or how people perceive them, you learn that over time and you learn it through a mix of looking up to those people as well as having your own uh, individual responses shut down and ignored because it doesn't validate that person's 
responses. And so that trauma comes around too, where you try to be someone else and they don't give you any, any validity. They don't give you any attention as a result. And so you almost, as a survival mechanism, try to become that person. So that way they'll respect you. And so often parents become their, or kids become their parents, right? And I think a lot of uh, Andrew Tate comes from his upbringing. I think a lot, because if you look at his brother, they're very similar. They're very similar people in terms of how they look at themselves, how they value each other or how they value themselves and, and so on. So I think it's important, for example, for anybody who's who is listening to Andrew Tate. And when he says, if you don't do this, you're a loser. If you don't do this, you're a loser. The first question you, sh you should ask yourself is, why do you still need to perceive people as a loser if they don't agree with you? Because that screams insecurity. That screams snake oil. And if you can just use the awareness there to just recognize, oh, hold on, this message is distorted. This message is tainted by the needs of our speaker. Then we can start having a dialogue. But everybody else who gets into that conversation with that same need, that same lack, and the easy promise of being valuable just by being a man, they're just going to buy into it hook, line, and sinker, especially if it's cheap, especially if it's something they can make money from. Um, it's, it's unfortunate, but it's very true. There was a video I was watching the other day where they were talking about working out. And somebody asked him, like, do you get up and work out when you don't want to work out? And he said, I never want to work out. I push myself to work out, whether I want to or not, which is a great point. And then he followed it up with, because that's what a man is. And that's not what a man is. That's what a person is. That is, in fact, in fact, that's a lesson that everybody can learn universally. It is something that we all get to face. And if we don't get up and push ourselves through discomfort, we don't gain, we don't gain strength. But the problem is that whatever he gains, he uses as identity. And so it just reinforces his insecurity. Because now it can be challenged. Now it can be taken away from him. And that's the problem with that snake oil is that it looks good on the surface. It's packaged up nicely, especially presented by somebody who is coming across as being exceedingly confident because they speak very loud and above everybody else. But it's discernment that makes us aware that that person is not what they appear to be. Same was true for Trump's campaign. Yeah, it's interesting, like with all the spiritual snake oil out there, there are ounces of truth in all of it, but it's distorted by how they perceive themselves and their need for it, for their sense of validation and their sense of worth. And, you know, like there, there's a lot of things that he says where I'm like, yeah, I mean, that's like kind of a classic, a lot of it's kind of along the lines of stoicism to a degree, but it's distorted because he sees himself in such a way. He sees men in such a way. He sees women in such a way. And he has, has all of these labels about everyone and everything. And it's so funny to see someone who's so fucking sure of themselves and so confident to be so caught up or having this false sense of confidence to be so caught up in labels. I find that so funny. And like, bro, you can't even see that you're not what you think you are. Like, and you think, you know, all this shit, and you, but you still think you're a human. You still think you are Andrew Tate. You still think that women and men are to be this way and are to be that way. You're still buying into all the fucking conditioning that society has always taught us, that society has taught us, that, that 
you know, big government tells us is the way it is. And he's so anti all of that. But at the same time, he's buying into all these gender norms to all of these, you know, old school, classical household labels that men should be protecting and working and women should be caring and nurturing and, and all these. And it's like, where do you think these are coming from? Like, those are just taught things that you were too uncomfortable with questioning that you stopped. There's so much discomfort in that. It's so funny to see it and to see someone so having this sense of, of so much certainty or this false sense of certainty about the way they see things and being so caught up in illusions, like so caught up in fictions. It's like, I don't know. It's, it's funny to see it in general, but then when it's someone who just thinks so highly of themselves or, or tries to at least portray it in such a way and then be so caught up in fictions, so caught up in illusions. It's, it's very, uh, yeah. Fascinating to say the least. Yeah, it is. And it's so half-assed backwards from what we would expect, right? Because people would perceive Andrew Tate as being self-absorbed. But the fact is, is that he is still focused on everybody else. So the answer, as we said at the beginning of this episode, it would be to recognize how fundamental he is to his own reality. So if only Andrew Tate had the courage to be selfish enough to question his identity. That's interesting. Yeah. So when you say selfish enough to question his identity, I'm, I'm a little bit curious about that. To make it about him. He's still living relative to everybody else's perception of him. He's not being selfish enough. He's still trying to look for value from others. It's not about him. If it was, he would stop trying to get everybody to look at him in a certain way. Stop, and he'd stop feeling so hurt every time somebody doesn't because it's funny and tragic that he comes across very tough in terms of conversations. I don't get rattled by everybody, by anybody. Yes, he does. He absolutely does. I've seen a few interviews where people have questioned him, have straight up told him you're full of shit and presented a valid argument and he withers pretty quick. And it's because it's all a front. It's a front. He says, I don't care what people think of me. But if you insult me, I care. I care. And it's because he's still living relative. And that's what I mean is that you have to get selfish enough where it's not about other people. And that's when you become willing to look at the identity that you're holding on to. That's when you're willing to look at, why do I define myself as a man? Is that really what a man is? Why am I holding on to this so, so tightly? But you're not willing to question it until it's for your own reasons, until you start recognizing the consequence to you. But if you're still invested in how everybody else perceives you, you're not going to do that because then you don't know how they're going to perceive you. You got to stick to your role. You got to stick to your character, right? Maintain. And that's the problem is that you can't grow unless you're selfish enough to grow for yourself. Okay. Yeah. That is, it's such a fascinating thing to talk about that we're actually saying Andrew Tate isn't being selfish enough because he's still so focused on what everyone thinks of him and, and on so much of the external that he, he doesn't take the time to look within and question why he's clinging to all of these assumptions and, and perceived and, and needs based on a perceived sense of lack is what it comes down to. Like he's holding on to these because he feels like he needs to, 
because he doesn't see the value in himself. And so, yeah, we're, uh, I think, I think you mentioned this in season one, we're taking selfishness back something like, and, and I guess this is a great, uh, episode to reinforce that even, even saying Andrew Tate isn't being selfish enough because people are confused about what selfishness really comes down to. And when you're doing it for anyone besides yourself, when you're doing it for everyone else, you're being manipulative. You will inevitably be manipulative because you need them for your sense of worth. And, and all selfishness comes down to is seeing the worth within yourself and doing it for yourself, filling that you know cup up first, and then working from an overflowing cup because you have so much left. You're like, yeah, I, I'm good. Let's, let's move on. Let's, let's go talk to other people about this stuff. But, you know, as long as your cup is empty and, and you're looking for other people to fill it, you're going to be manipulative. You're going to need that external validation for, for your sense of value. And that's all Andrew Tate is really doing at the end of the day is not seeing the value in himself. So he needs all these other people to fill that empty cup for him. And that's why he's so caught up in, in the beliefs in the narratives, fictions, and all of it, because he hasn't taken the time to ever question them and, and see for even a split second that, oh, maybe, maybe I'm not right because he derives a sense of value from being right and, and feeling like he's right, I think is a, is a better way of putting it. But so he, he can't question it. It he's unable to, because as soon as he does, he lets his guard down and he loses all of his perceived sense of value. And potentially his followers, because they're all following him for the way they that he validates their image of themselves. And so if he was to question that, the whole house of cards falls down. And this is very much the same with our system. This is very much the same with our government and everything else. It's the same game. It's that they're so invested in that perspective, in, in the illusion of control and the illusion of identity, that to even start to question it shakes everything, which is why our system is so fragile. It's why people who are egotistical are so fragile. And it's because there's no clarity in it. It's all need and it's all conditioning. It's all a lack of living for yourself. And that's not something that you can tell somebody is important to them. It's something they have to recognize is important to them. Like for Andrew Tate, particularly, moments where he pushes himself up on a pedestal and he gets smacked down. Those moments, he feels it. We all do. We know when we've overstepped ourselves. We know when we're acting a bit like an ass. When he feels that in those moments, the important part is to go, why am I feeling this? Not why did they make me feel this way? But how did I end up on this chair? that got kicked out from under me? What did I invest in that put me here? Those are those moments where you're being selfish. Those are those moments where you're like, how do I get more out of the moment that I'm in right now? Not get something, but to actually take this moment and turn it into something that's fulfilling or helping me grow. How do I recognize where my suffering is coming from? Those are the moments where we have to be selfish. Those are the moments where it has to be for us because nobody can tell us Nobody can come over and say, well, you got to look at it this way. Ah, you're looking at this. You question that. We, we talk about all kinds of possibilities on this podcast, but we're doing it so from our own questioning. We're doing so from the things we've asked ourselves. 
And that may help you, the listener, but you're the only one who knows the questions that you're avoiding. And unless you're selfish enough to see what's on the other side of that question, you're never going to get the growth that you could if you were. Absolutely. Yeah. It's got to gotta come back to you. As much as we talk about all of these things, it's you doing it for you, questioning for your state of being, for your experience here and now. That's all it ever comes down to. And sure, we can you know, talk about examples, give you some, some thoughts or, or whatever, but yeah, they're all, they're all from our perspective. We don't talk from a book or from something we read or, or another, you know, spiritual teacher or whatever. It's like, this is all just our experience, our thoughts about reality here and now based on our understanding with a willingness to question why we're thinking that way, question what we're thinking, question who we are and what we're doing in every moment. And that's all it ever comes down to. You don't need anything outside of you. You know, we've said it many, many times. You don't need this podcast. You don't need to keep listening to us. You don't need this podcast. You, you have everything you ever need within you to live your most fulfilling life that you ever possibly could. That's always what it comes down to. And as long as you think you need something outside of yourself, as long as you think you need, you know, that teacher or that guru or that person in your life, be it a relationship or a significant other, as long as you think those things, you're diminishing the, the truth of what you actually are. You're not seeing the truth of what you actually are. So it always comes back to seeing the truth what you are, letting go of what you think you are, because that's never going to be the truth. And as you see that more clearly, there isn't need for anything outside of your experience here and now, because it's always for you. It's always here and now. Absolutely. And that's the entirety of our journey. That is the entirety of how this all changes as we are that sleeping giant rolling over. I question, you question, our listener questions, and we take it as fundamental to our existence. We take it for our own reasons, we go through this journey. And what's funny is that through not trying to get anywhere, through intensely being present where we are, we're all going towards the same collective center. So I just wanted to take this moment before we wrap up this episode to thank our listener for all the work they're doing. I, I promise we're doing the same amount of work. We are working just as hard as you are because it's just as important to us. But the fact that you're here is inspiring and we love it. So we're gonna keep at it and we will meet you in the middle as always. I do wanna mention before we wrap up today that of course we are always doing our weekly chats on Patreon. They're so much fun. They're getting bigger and bigger every week. For $5 a month, you can chat with us every week for an hour and a half to two hours on a, on a group Zoom. We have a public group Zoom coming up on the first Wednesday of the month. You can register at dualisticunity.com. Uh, aside from that, the retreat is coming up in November. If you have any questions, make sure you get in touch with us and you ask because we would love to tell you everything that's happening. You can find the details on the website. There's going to be a heated pool. Totally forgot about the hot tub. There's a sauna, billiards table. There's a river just out back in the backyard. It's going to be amazing. So if you can make it, we would love to see you there. Uh, Andrew, anything you'd like to wrap up with? Actually, I did want to say one thing quickly. We're not going to be able to talk about it today because it's just going to open up a whole big can of worms. But at some point, maybe next week, we'll see what happens. I would like to discuss Amazon's latest palm reading technology and the fact that they are now making it 
possible for them to just read your palm and get your personal information. Now, given the mention in um, the Bible about the mark of the beast being on the palm and given the history of palm reading as a whole, it made me think in terms of when we were doing palm reading hundreds of years ago and we would say things like your lifeline is so long and this means that you're gonna be rich or this means you're very creative. Were we possibly accessing a future database where all of those palms were read and we actually started to recognize that there were, there were similarities between the lines, that it was actually information from some other time period that we were accessing and that's what gave us our intuitive understanding that this is a lifeline and this is what it means because somewhere in the future there's a database of thousands and thousands of people who all share that and they all lived a certain time that is a fantastic question and we could probably spend an entire episode talking about that but yeah uh, i'm gonna look into that because i did not realize that was a thing and definitely down to chat about it soon i don't know i know we got a couple guests coming up but maybe within within the month we'll get to that for sure or somebody could recommend it for a community topics episode if you want to vote just suggest it on our discord and we'll bring it up there you go maybe maybe next week's community topics please recommend that because i would like to talk about it and i can't recommend topics for our own episodes because <laughs> they, they uh come down to you on patreon and discord um but yeah i am uh couldn't be more excited for everything that's going on. Just want to reiterate how appreciative I am of you, the listener, and just reinforce to you that you are as much a part of dualist community. You are as much dualist community itself as me or Ray or anyone that will ever listen to this in the, you know, hundreds of years to come. <laughs> um, but yeah, as much as I made the joke before about wondering if we even had listeners, I, I am very appreciative for, for all of you who take the time to not only listen, but to take it with you throughout your day, to question, to make ripples, to have a conversation with someone and, and maybe ask them a couple of questions that you wouldn't usually ask them. Make them, make them think for a moment because the ripples that we make echo in eternity and we don't fully recognize even the close to the degree of impact that we have in every, every single moment that we experience, whether it's a smile to someone on the street, a conversation, a hello, introducing someone to a cool podcast that you've really been enjoying. <laughs> you never know what the impact is actually going to be. So being there for the experience, doing it for you, filling up your cup, allowing it to overflow and, and seeing all the ripples that that actually makes is all it ever comes down to. So I, uh, I really appreciate you sticking with us for this episode and couldn't be more excited for everything to come. Likewise, it's inspiring. Thank you everyone for joining us. Of course, we will see you next week for episode 10 and we will see you in a few days for community topics number four. Bye everyone.